Welcome to The Brandy Show, Conversations With. The idea for this type of show came from the very concept of podcasts. They're available to anyone at any time since they stay posted on the internet portal indefinitely. Podcasts that are time-sensitive, that deal with issues of the day, are fine. But after a month or so, they can be out of date. Taking advantage of the technology, it made sense to me to create a program podcast that would last. It's as current the day it is posted to six months or a year from now. So I hope you like our series conversations with. Thanks for stopping by. Today's conversation is with John and Peter Janopoulos. For over 40 years, these brothers have run a restaurant slash gathering place that has become a go-to destination for athletes, celebrities, and thousands of Michigan residents. It's called Janopoulos. The corner of Middle Belt and 12 Mile Road has been home since 1982. Sadly, in 2019, John and Peter are closing the doors. The business has changed. They're getting older, and they've had their run. But oh my, what stories of Detroit have originated within the walls of Janopolis. I mean, let's be honest. Wouldn't you be interested to know how the pictures of Elizabeth Taylor, Bob Hope, Muhammad Ali, Telly Savalas, Frank Sinatra, Sparky Anderson, Chuck Daly, Jack Morris, and Wayne Gretzky, and countless others adorn the walls of this place in Farmington Hills, Michigan? Well, let's find out. Here's my conversation with John and Peter Janopoulos. After 40 years, the Janopoulos restaurant, on the grill, whatever you guys call this place, you're done. John and Peter Janopoulos. John, what made the decision for you guys to kind of call it quits? Well, it's bittersweet, Jimmy. I don't know. It's... uh... You know, I'm 77. Uh, <laughs> things have changed. I mean, uh, it's just completely different. The restaurant business for me is completely different than it was back in the day when we all remember it. But I think there's a time for everybody to, to call it quits. And uh, for me, it was time. I just, uh, we had a great t- fun here. We had a lot of fun here. We met so many wonderful, wonderful people that, Without the restaurant business, we would have never have met. I mean, you know, we got a list of them, and you know the list of people. And uh, without this business, uh, we'd have never met those people. Peter, did you guys know, did you and Johnny know the restaurant business was going to be my career when you were young? Yeah, I did. I, I wanted to do this my whole life. And I think Johnny the same way. Because he was raised in it. I went to work at Ford Motor Car Company. I worked there. I worked I worked for the Illages when they had six Little Caesars <laughs> making pizzas and delivering. And now they got like 10 million of them. Uh, when, did you, when did you guys get this location at 12 Mile and uh, Middle Belt? I think it was 1978 is when we looked at it. Uh, we bought it. it was, yeah, in 78. Because we had a place on Telegraph and Schoolcraft that we bought in 1967, and uh, before that, I was, I personally, I was at the Topper, at the Topper Restaurant in Dearborn, which is a big Ford Motor hangout there, and in 67, Detroit News had a Detroit favorite bartender contest, and it turned into a four-week uh, deal, and it, it turned out to be a big thing, and I happened to slip in, and I won it. So I, well, you were on J.P. McCarthy's focus as the, what, the world's greatest bartender? Is that the deal? Favorite, favorite bartender. I was. I was J.P. McCarthy had me on his focus. Sure, I was on the Bill Kennedy show. Remember oh, wow. Bill Kennedy? 
Names from the past. Yep, I was on his show, and uh, it was a lot of fun. And that kind of uh, spearheaded our, our career in the restaurant business. From uh, there, I, we bought the place on Telegraph. And, and Peter, when did you come into the fold, as it were, as a full-blown, okay, we're running this thing together? Well, in 1967, we bought uh, called Caprero's at the time. We needed Janopolis Caprero's. But I came in there right then, and uh, somebody asked me if they could have a Labatt's. I asked them, how do you mix a Labatt's? That's how much I knew about the bar business. Well, that's why you didn't get to be the world's most favorite bartender. <laughs> you got that one right. I left that for my brother. When did you guys and why did you guys say Detroit was going to be our spot? It was because it was hometown? I mean, because let's face it, Detroit in the middle 60s, uh, riots, things weren't exactly wonderful around here. Peter? Yeah, well, you know, I was in the National Guard, so I saw it, you know, from firsthand. And, uh, no, it, the, you know, we were out in the suburbs, which was a little different. And uh, we just uh, worked hard and... At, the, at our restaurant on uh, Telegraph there in Redford. And, uh, the, you know, the rest is history, you know. Well, you know, he says we're in the suburbs. We were in Redford on Telegraph. And the property behind us, the garages of the houses behind us were in Redford and the homes were in Detroit. And they called that whole neighborhood back there Copper Canyon. That's where all the police live because that's the furthest point in Detroit that they could live with, and they had to live in Detroit back then, the, the fire and the police. So that was called Copper Canyon. So we were basically on the edge of Detroit. When did the theme of this restaurant come together? Because if you look at the theme and there are celebrities all over the wall, great national celebrities, sports stars. Did you guys head in that direction? Is that the way you wanted this restaurant bar to go? No, you know what? I started hanging out at a lot of single places, and I got to meet a lot of them. And uh, when we opened up this place, you know, they came over. We had the little house on the corner here. It was Oba's at the time. And I was uh, working it, and, you know, a lot of the hockey players, football players, and that, I, I would hang out in the restaurant or the other bars, put it that way. The single scene was in then. And we just uh, had a lot of fun, and they came in, and and it just developed uh, to be a hot spot. Even a little place was a hot spot. And then we uh, built this place, and that was uh, that was uh, you know the start of it. Put it that way. What was it like, John? You old married man that you are, to have the Playboy magazine say. This Janopolis restaurant is the single spot to be. I mean, that had to be high cotton indeed. Very simple. <laughs> Very simple. I worked days. I was out of here. Back then, your business, did, your night business did not start till like 9, 10 o'clock at night. Well, I was here all day, and I, I was home already. I was in bed at 10 o'clock at night. And Pete was working the night shift. He was here with all the swingers and shooters and all that, and I was home. You know what? There are those of us out there who might say, that's an excuse. Nice, nice try. Hey, listen, let me tell you. 54 <laughs> years I've been married. Yeah. 54. My 25th wedding anniversary, I took my wife to Greece. For our 50th, I went and picked her up. <laughs> that's so. a great story. So, so, Peter, you are the nighttime guy. You should be... 
get the credit, rather, for being the singles, the best singles bar in Detroit? Well, I'll tell you one thing right now. I told Sparky Anderson, I said, Sparky, you know, I'm the one that created the World Series in 84. You know that. How did you do that? Sparky looked at me and said, what? I said, your players were in my place every night drinking Metoxa with me. <laughs> so when they went on the field, they were loaded. They were loaded with ready to go and hit them home runs like they did. You guys have done such a great job of building this business, but the names are legendary. They're iconic that have come in here, and you have rubbed shoulders with some amazing people. The world of entertainment, let's just go there. Telly Savalas. Johnny, how did Telly Savalas come about? Telly Savalas, well, I, I met Telly Savalas. First of all, we, we met him in Vegas, and then I, I used to play in a golf tournament in Palm Spring uh, called the Hellenic Golf Classic. And Telly Savalas was, and then they changed the name to the Telly Savalas Golf Tournament. And I got to know Telly Savalas pretty well in, in uh, Palm Springs and played golf with him. I still have a $20 bill signed by him, which aggravated the hell out of him. I mean, no, I'm serious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I all I snookered him. <laughs> but uh, he was a great guy. We, in fact, my dad and my brother and I were in Vegas one night, and he was there. And he was very cordial to my father. And he's just, uh, and then I got to know him after that. But he was a great guy. Great guy. Tell, you know, talk about entertainment. And then there's Bob Hope. And then there's Elizabeth Taylor. How, how does Bob Hope and Elizabeth Taylor get their pictures on the wall of a restaurant bar in Farmington Hills, Michigan? Would you explain that one to me, Peter? Well, Johnny, Johnny's uncle, uh, Ted Gregory from Marion's uncle, from, Marion's uncle. from uh, Cincinnati was very close friends with Bob Hope. So when Bob came in, he said, there's only one place you got to go, and that's at Janopolis's. And that's how Bob got here. And Elizabeth Taylor, I was, uh, there was a... Uh, driver. Yeah. Marie, limo. yeah, Marie, Marie. Marie. Yeah. Anyway, she was a limo driver, and she, she, Elizabeth Taylor said, you know, I want some ribs. She says, there's only one place for ribs at Janopolis's. And that's how she came here. When, when these celebrities started coming here, did you guys kind of look at yourself and go, whoa, what, what's going on here all of a sudden, huh? Well, you know, like with, with Bob Hope, uh, I remember my uncle calling me up. He said, uh, he said, Bob Hope's coming to Detroit. He's landing this afternoon. He says, I want you to go there, and I want you to you know, tell him you're my nephew and all this stuff and tell him you come in the restaurant that night, and I says, Uncle Ted, I can't do it. How am I going to go there to Bob Hope? And, I mean, you know, I'm just a little saloon keeper here. He says, well, if you can't handle it, I'm flying in. He flew in, and Bob Hope was playing at the Premier Center in the, in, uh, on the east side. And sure as hell, man, we went into the dressing room, and Bob Hope and my uncle, you know, he was very, very close with him. He was not an acquaintance. He was very close with him. And uh, after the show, we got him in a limo, brought him all the way back here, and he was out on the dance floor dancing up a storm and having a great time. And he's, he, he was here three times after that. He was here with his wife, Dolores, and he just he enjoyed it. He enjoyed it. At working nights, Peter, you got to probably see more of this than maybe Johnny did. At least Johnny alludes to that. Do I have to tell you everything? 
You don't have to tell me everything, but give me the juicy stuff. You know, this is podcast, so it's kind of like cable. I'm going to tell you something. I really had good experience with a lot of them. I mean, it was so exciting. You know, they'd walk in, and you you asked my brother, you know, how, did you know, how did it feel meeting a celebrity? You know what? Most of them were very down to earth. And we became friends with a lot of them after they left here. And we kept in contact with them. One of the guys that was like that, and I know I heard Johnny talk about it, was Sinatra. Sinatra, you, John, you talk about... What am I doing out here in Palm Springs, and I'm hanging out in Frank Sinatra's house? Was that what happened? First, how we met Sinatra was is through Jilly Rizzo. Pete became good friends with Jilly Rizzo, who was Sinatra. Nothing got to Sinatra without going through Jilly. Okay, so Sinatra came to town, and uh, we're hanging out with Jilly and that, and uh, he, we're at Pine Knob. I remember this. We're sitting in a seat, and uh, Gus Pantelli went up to Pete, and he says, the old man wants to go out to dinner. So where do we take him? Well, back then we didn't have a place here, so we took him to another restaurant. And so I can't think of the name of it right now. And anyways, we took him there, and from that point on, we were kind of in the thing. And then Sinatra... You know, he came to town, he had our ribs, and I was in, in Palm Springs one time, and uh, uh, Gus got a call from uh, Pat Henry. Oh, yeah. Pat Henry was a comedian that opened up the shows for him. So he said, I'm having a barbecue at the house, this and that. So he said, you want to come by? And so he told him I was in town. He said, well, bring him with him. So we went over to the house, we had a barbecue, and Harry Gardino was there. Now, Harry Gardino, a lot of people don't know who he is by name. He's one of my favorite actors. Yeah, he was the lieutenant in Dirty Harry. Yeah. That's where everybody remembers him by. So we went over to the house, and Jilly Rizzo was there, Pat Henry, Harry Gardino. Who was the snake? Oh, Joe Benita. Joe, no, Al Benita. Al Benita. Al Benita. Al Benita was there. So we're sitting, we had a barbecue this. So Harry Gardino says to Pat Henry, he says, call the old man up and see if he'll come have a drink with his pallies. He says, he probably won't because I'm going to use the word henpecked. That wasn't the term he used, <laughs> but I'm going to use the word henpecked. PWRD are the initials. So they call him up on the phone. And they're talking to you, P.W., son of a bitch. <laughs> I mean, if you got any balls at all, you'll come over here and have a drink with your old pallies and this and that. And I'm sitting there like, man, they're talking to the man like this, right? And he was the man. Oh, he was. Of course he was. And up the phone. 20 minutes later, who comes walking through the door? Screaming and yelling, I'll show you P.W. and this and that, and better go back and forth. Stayed there. He had, a, you know, a couple of blackjacks on the rocks, and I'm sitting there on a the couch like a little mummy, saying, nobody's going to believe this. I mean, here I am, and I'm sitting here, and nobody's going to believe this story. I said, can't take a picture. You take a picture, forget it, you're done, you know, with that crowd. Yeah. And uh, that was it. That Had a few drinks, left, and that was it. And I would imagine that 
they appreciated the fact that you understood. You didn't take pictures, and what was said there never got anywhere else. Uh, that's what I would imagine they appreciated right. from you guys. Right, right, absolutely. I mean, we knew when to keep our mouth shut. That I mean, you know, we've seen so much go on, and Pete could tell you a lot of stories, but, uh, you know, that's why they had trust in us. They had trust in us. And that's what got him back here. And Pete, John says that Jilly was Sinatra's guy. Sinatra had the reputation of having an entourage, or he was buffered by a number of people. How difficult was it to get to uh, Old Blue Eyes? Well, after we met him through uh, our cousin Gus Pantel, after we met him, then it became we became good friends with Jilly. And uh, Jilly was Sinatra's right-hand guy. One day I'm in Palm Springs or Palm Desert. We had a house out there. And uh, Jilly calls me up one afternoon. And he said, hey, Pete, what are you doing this evening? And I said, well, you know, I don't have anything planned. Now, wait a minute. you got to hear this. I didn't have anything planned. He says, well, then uh, the old man wants to know if you want to join us for dinner. What do you think? The I'm old man, that's Sinatra. I- I'm, I'm accepting that one. You know what I told him? Yeah, you know what? Let me check and see if my I'm a. You didn't. You didn't. No, I didn't. But it sounds good, doesn't it? Yeah. No, but he actually called up and he asked if I wanted to have dinner with Frank, and I said, "You got it. I'll be there." And and people oh, talk. Man, I'll pick up the tab. <laughs> <laughs> but the other thing is, is that you talk about that uh, in that setting, he was just a normal guy. The the uh, the legend of Sinatra, if you will, is not necessarily the real Sinatra, is it? One time we're out having dinner, okay? There's like four or five of us at the table. So uh, we're all telling stories, and I'm going to tell you what kind of guy he was. He listened. I mean, you couldn't top his stories if you had one. Well, I was telling a story, and he stopped me right at the beginning, and he says, Pete, I'm going to tell you right now, don't leave one little bit out of that story because I want to hear it all. And he kept saying, then what happened? Then what happened? I'm not had to be so much. That, I was gonna say you didn't have to tell me the story, but that had to be so much fun for you. Oh, that was. I mean, he was like one of the guys. I mean, we were like with him, being one of the guys. I mean, you got the legend there, and he didn't make you feel like that. He was very comfortable. But you know what? It it comes with how you meet a person, and then how they accept you. Well, like Johnny was saying, you know, we had trust, and that went a long way with everybody. Of all of those celebrity types that come in, we'll get to the sports guys later, uh, how you shepherded the Detroit Pistons to NBA championships. But of all those celebrity Hollywood types, uh, does one stick out as being one of those people that you go, you know, that guy, I'm, I'm glad that he chose us to, or she chose us to be a friend and be a part of this? Well, you know what? There, there, there's more than one, but I think you're talking about athletes. Muhammad Ali was just absolutely unbelievable in here. I mean, he would go around and shake hands with everybody before they even came up to the table. He would, the babies, he would hug them and kiss the babies and that. He was just fantastic. How did you get to meet Muhammad? Well, Tom, Tom Sluter, who was his agent at the time, was good friends of ours. And uh, he said, you know, or, uh, I'm getting confused yeah, already. Muhammad Ali... Muhammad Ali was coming in town, and so he came here for dinner. And what a genuine, I mean, I told every athlete that there's one guy you 
patron yourself after. And you know who that is? Muhammad Ali. He don't refuse an autograph. He did not refuse an autograph. He was in here one evening. He was getting ready to leave, and somebody asked him for an autograph. He wind up sitting at the back table. We had at least three, 400 people in here. There was a line for him to sign autograph. He signed everybody an autograph that wanted one. And before he left, he said, Pete, he said, does everybody have an autograph that has one? Because I'm getting ready to leave. That's the kind of class he was. He was bigger than life, and yet he was also one of the most gracious guys I think I've ever met. Well, he was, and I'll tell you what happened. One night he was in here on a Saturday night, and the Detroit Pistons were playing the Bulls in a playoff game on Sunday. Now, we had season tickets front row behind the visitor's bench. So we're sitting at the table with them throughout the night and this and that. And so finally, I don't know what made me even ask him. I says, would you like to go to the Pistons game tomorrow? They're playing the Bulls. He said, yeah. Now, did you know what you were getting into? You're going to walk into a game with Muhammad Ali. you got to be shitting me, man. <laughs> I said, he said yes, right? So I tell Pete, I said, Pete, he's going to the game with us, man. So we picked him up at the hotel, and his Tom Sluter was there with us. And it wouldn't have really happened, you know, without Tom Sluter. But it happened, and now we're all together. We took him in the limo. Tell me what uh, Chuck said first at that dinner. He said, you're coming to the game tomorrow. Make sure you guys come in early before the game. Now, you don't go in the locker room before a game. Period. This was Chuck Daly? Yeah. This was a playoff game. Okay. This is playoff, Chicago Bulls. So they, Pete's right. So there I took him. We went in the locker room. I mean, I'm telling you right now, Isaiah Thomas – John Sally, everyone stood at attention. Dennis Rodman, uh, Vinnie John. They couldn't believe it. Muhammad Ali was there. I mean, what a, it was a big throw to them. And, and he pulled one of these levitating tricks that he does. Where you think he's off of the ground. And I'm telling you something. I mean, I, it looked like he was off the ground. Make a long story short, these guys absolutely went nuts when they saw him. He introduced all the pistons and everything, and we came back, went to the seats. It wasn't five minutes, and everybody in the arena realizes that Muhammad Ali is at the game. It was pandemonium. I mean, they had to get security guards. Everybody was, was over there, and they just had to keep the crowds away. And like Pete said, I mean, he already had a bunch of autographs signed. All he had to do was just pull him out of his pocket. I mean, that's the kind of guy he was. He signed him before he even got to the game. And he was just, he was so great at the game. He was so cordial to everybody. And in the car on the way home, he was telling jokes. And, and uh, he was still, his speech was a little <coughs> slow and everything. But he was fantastic. Uh, you talked about Sparky a little bit earlier. And you talked about Muhammad Ali and the Pistons. Uh, Chuck Daly comes to mind is Chuck was a regular, almost a family member here at Janopolis. What a great guy. And again, another normal everyday guy that turns out to be extraordinary as a coach. Uh, Peter, tell us a little bit about Chuck Daly and the kind of guy he was and why Janopolis kind of fit right into his wheelhouse. Well, Chuck, I think I was one of the first ones to meet Chuck. He, Stan Novick, remember Stan? He was a, a scout for the Pistons. Well, Stan brought him in from the airport, 
and they came in the front door and they sit down at, at the stand-up bar in the in the bar, and uh, Stan introduced me to the new coach of the Pistons, right? So we're talking back and forth, and uh, and Chuck says, "Well, you know, where's a good place to buy a house around here?" And this and that. We're going back and forth, and I said, "Hey, Chuck," I said, "You want to buy my house?" I put him in my car. We went to my house, showed him my, he didn't buy it, but we, I took him to my house, came back. The first time I met him, and he became close friends of ours ever since. And Johnny, Johnny became real close with Chuck as well. Well, John, you used to say that he would come in every day, have a bowl of soup at the end of the bar, and you're the working the day crowd. And you and Chuck were like... Uh, Every day, he was like Norm at Cheers. Oh, yeah, I mean, he would. Yeah, he was. He'd come in every day and have his golf shoes on because he always wanted to go hit some balls. He'd say, come on, let's go to the club because he was a member at Western where I'm, I've been a member for 47 years. But he'd say, let's go to the club and hit some balls. Let's go to this and that. And he was just, yeah, he was a regular here. And, and Chuck was just, he used to be at my house for Christmas dinner, Thanksgiving dinners. He was there all the time. The he was part. Of, he was. He was part of the family. In fact, I got to tell you a story. One, one of the holidays. I don't know which one, but Alan Trammell and Jack Morris are at the house, and and uh, remember a guy by the name of Alex Grammas. He oh, was yeah. a third base. Coach, third base for Sparky. And Alex Grammas was at the house, and Chuck Daly was there with the family and that, and. My son, I don't know how it happened, but they let, they played a little basketball game in a driveway. So it was Alan Trammell, Jack Morris, my son, and one of my nephews. And, I mean, they're playing, okay? I mean, it's not – they're not playing horse, okay? They're playing. John Daly looks out there and he says, I don't even believe this. He says, if Sparky Anderson saw them on the asphalt <laughs> – playing basketball and this was during a baseball season i mean it was just unbelievable but we'd always have those kind of people at the house all the time i mean they were there for holiday dinners and everything i mean it was great you told me a story about uh, chuck taking you to a playoff game in boston and having to be a pretty important playoff game and told and and his reaction to the events of that night really said a lot about his character tell me that story john well, I tell you, I called him up in the morning. I remember it vividly. And I just wanted to call him up and, and congratulate him and wish him good luck and all that. So he says to me, he says, why don't you come to the game? I said, well, I says, you're coming home after the game. Yeah. He said, yeah. I said, well, I don't want to stay overnight in Boston by myself, this and that. He says, you get to the game, he says, and you fly home with us. So I said, well... Get me the passes. I said, let me call up the airlines. I got, I did. I got a ticket. I called them back. I says, I'm going to the airport. I says, have a, you know, the, the press pass and all that stuff waiting for me at will call. So somebody drove me to the airport. I mean, this was all in a spur of the moment. I never called my wife nothing. I got on a, I got on the plane, flew to Boston, went to will call, picked up the he had the press pass there. When you, now, you know what it is with a press pass. I mean, you, there's nowhere you can't go with a press pass. And, I mean, I'm walking on the parquet floor and everything and all this. and Feeling pretty, feeling pretty good about yourself. Oh, I am. You know, I said, look at me. So then who? Dennis Johnson. Remember Dennis Johnson from the Boston Celtics? He came out on the court, and he saw me. 
And when he was in Detroit, my seats are behind the visitor's bench. We used to harass them. And he looked at me like, oh, no. He says, you're in my house now. <laughs> and I says, oh, my God, am I in trouble, man. So, but he was very, very cordial. Make a long story. I was sitting next to uh, Tommy Hearns. And we're at the game. And that's the game where Isaiah threw the ball away. Larry Bird intercepted the pass. Gave it to Dennis Johnson, and he put it up for layup with like three seconds to go. We lost the game in the final seconds. It was just absolutely terrible. So I went in the back there, and I didn't go in the locker room. This was the first time I wouldn't go in the locker because there's no way. I mean, I'm a smart little. I'm not a rocket scientist, but I'm a smart little Greek boy that knows you don't go in the locker room of a team that loses a game like that. And that was an important game. So I'm waiting outside for them to come out. So about 45 minutes later, they came out of the locker room, and we walked on the bus, the team bus, which was parked inside the Boston Gardens. And we pulled out, and as we pulled out, I mean, I'll bet you there had to have been 200 people out there. Pistons, Lambeer, you suck. Pistons suck. I mean, they were throwing shit at the bus and everything. And so finally, we pulled out, got to the airport, got on a plane. Now, Pistons didn't own a plane back then. This was chartered. So we got on a plane. I, t I turned to Dick Versace and Ronnie Rusty. I'll never forget it. I said, I'm sitting next to you guys. So I was just getting in a row, and Chuck was walking by. Now, Chuck has never said a word to me. We walked by, and he looked at me. He said, sit over here with me. So that's the last place I really wanted to be, honest to God. I just didn't want to. It was horrible. I mean, the mood was just terrible. So we, I sat down in a window seat, and he sat on the aisle seat. Never said anything. So finally, during the flight, Isaiah came over. And he says, you know, Coach, he said, some to this effect, I should have called a timeout or to that effect. And Chuck says, you know what you should have done. I know. It's over with. Forget about it. It's done. We landed the plane in Detroit. We got in a car. He had to drive me back to my car because I didn't have a car. And he drove me back, and he never said a word till we got to 275. And he says, you know what? I hope we learn by this. And that was it. I mean, that was it. He just didn't talk about it, nothing. And we got here, and. We each got in our car and went home, and I mean, I think I took it work. Well, he took it bad, but after he told me, probably that, that was the greatest thing that happened to them. That made them the team that they were the following year. That won them championships, one mistake. Uh, Peter, athletes, we just talked about Isaiah. Um, the guys that came in here, uh, particularly the guys like a Rodman or a Mahorn, they have bigger-than-life images. What were they like in a social setting? Oh, they loved to dance. They got on their dance floor and they showed their stuff off. I mean, when they came in here, you know, it was really unique because when they came in this place, Janopolis's, they knew that they weren't going to be harassed. And that's why we get a, created a great reputation that the celebrities can come in here and not be bothered or harassed. The key word here, I think, is what we talked about before, trust. Oh, yeah, yeah. We get, you know what? We gain their trust. One day, Johnny will love this one. 
uh, from uh, the L.A. Dodgers, um, Tommy Lasorda is sitting in the booth, right? And he's sitting there, and, you know, the place is packed and everything. He's getting, he calls me over. He says, hey, Pete, he says, uh, what's going on around here? He says, no, nobody's coming up to me. And I says, what do you mean? He says, uh, well, you know, I want people to, you know, nobody knows I'm here. Tell the, tell the DJ to announce that I'm here. I said, we're trying to keep, you know, people are respecting him and staying away. Meanwhile, what happens? He had me go tell the DJ, listen, uh, uh, Tommy Lasorda is here, and if you want to say hello to him, go on over and say hello to him. And he had the crowd around him. But that's the way the place was. Is there a night that you guys remember in here or a day or something after a championship or that kind of stands out? I know the old Lindell downtown, they talk about when the Tigers won the series in 68 that the team came in and basically tended bar and gave away. Jimmy Buzicaris said, I never lost so much money and had so much fun in my life on that day when Al Kaline and Norm Cash were behind the bar, basically giving people drinks because of this championship. Was there ever a night like that here at Genopolis or a day? Well, the 84, the 84 championship game, Pete and I were in the locker room. The 84 World Series championship. Uh, yeah, the World Championship. We were in the locker room, and then they, we came back here, and they, a bunch of them came back here. I think it was Tram was here. Yeah, yeah, they all came back here. And it was just very, you know how exciting. I mean, my God, it's just something that just to be in the locker room. I mean, these are things by being in the business that we're in, the restaurant business, th these are the things that you would never have done as a, I don't know, normal person, but as a regular person. I mean, my God, we've had so many different exciting experiences. Do you remember that time too? Was, the, uh, was that the same day or same night you would oh, yeah. pick? We were, we were together and when we, when we came back here, I mean, it was terrific. I mean, you know, having the 84 World Series after they won it, when they were burning Detroit down with the, with the cars turning over and everything, they were all here. And the customers all respected, and the place was jammed. I mean, it was, you know, you can't express the feeling being in a locker room when they win the World Series, as you know. Yeah, you, I mean, you've been there, so you know the excitement yeah. now. And I'll tell you the other thing, we had the New York Yankees brought the whole team, the team bus pulled up into the parking lot and brought the whole Yankee team in here on a, on a Saturday, on a Friday or Saturday, Saturday night, I think it was. I mean, the whole team was here. I got, we got pictures of, what, four Hall of Famers from that team. I mean, Ricky Henderson, uh, Goose Gossage, uh, Dave Winfield. Uh, Mattingly. I mean, they're all, you know, they were all here. The whole team was here. How did they know about Janopolis? They're from New York. They're the Bronx. Well, I think probably they knew about it from the, the Tigers. You know what I mean? They, they talk, you know, and they probably said, you know, there's a good place out there. And the whole, the whole team brought them in here. But like when Tommy Lasorda came to town, I had a very close friend of mine said, would you do me a favor? He was in for the World Series. Would you pick up his friend of mine, Eddie Manasian? Eddie was a he was a, a, a general manager of one of the big hotels in Chicago. I said, sure. So I went to the airport, parked the car. I went into where I was supposed to pick him up. And 
he came up to me, are you John Jack? Yeah, Eddie Manation. He says, can you wait a few minutes? He says, I got a friend of mine that's coming in from LA. He says, can you wait a while? I said, well, of course. It's Tommy Lasorda. I mean, <laughs> that's how things happen. So I, he, so I drove him downtown. They were staying at the Renaissance downtown. And that's, you know, I, he said, I'm gonna come by the restaurant and all that. That's how it happened. Any Red Wings uh, stories? I mean, you because uh, we've gone through uh, the, the Pistons and then the Tigers. Uh, any Lions and Red Wings stories? I'm sure that they're all there. Eddie Meal, you, you remember oh, yes. MIO? Yeah. Anyways, MIO comes in here with Wayne Gretzky, Paul Coffey, who is a, and another one after one of the games. And we're sitting at the bar. It's pretty close to like 12.30, 1 o'clock. So, you know, I was drinking Metoxia. It couldn't have been that long. It couldn't have been that late because I was in the picture. I was here. <laughs> no, it was. He, he happened to stay over yeah, on my shift. I came back. <laughs> so now, Eddie's got him, you know, they're all hearing that. So I was drinking Metoxia at the time. And, you know, Wayne does not drink hard stuff. He was a beer drinker. Anyways, he started drinking the Metoxia. I mean, that's all we drank. We we were so lit. I got a picture of us out there. I mean, we were just hammered. And he went. He was supposed to come back the next day. He didn't because he was at hangover. Then that night or the next day, they had the afternoon game with the Red Wings. Well, you know what Wayne did? A hat trick. Yeah, of course. Yeah, on my Metoxa, like I told you about the Tigers. <laughs> Same thing with uh, some of the other times these stories go. A guy comes off a big hangover and has a great day. Um, one of the, your friends and one of the guys with the old Lions, you talked about Joe Schmidt. Uh, a delightful, great guy. Love him. Love Joe Schmidt. He's just absolutely, without a doubt, one of the classiest people you ever meet in your life. Talk about a storyteller. He has stories from the way begone days when the NFL wasn't the NFL like we know it today. Yeah, well, you know, I'd, one story I remember Joe telling. I knew Joe when I was a, a busboy at the Topper, okay? He would come in with Nick Petrosani and Terry Barr. And, I mean, I just looked up at these guys. I mean, I was a kid, you know, 16, 17 years old, you know, and I— I, wow, you know, I couldn't believe it. But uh, he tells me a great story about when they traded uh, Bobby Lane to Pittsburgh. And the following year, Joe was playing for the East or the West, and, and Bobby Lane was playing for the opposite seed in the Pro Bowl. Night before the game, Joe and Bobby Lane go out to dinner. And this is on Saturday night. Sunday, it's Joe's birthday. So they're, they're kind of celebrating Saturday night. So Sunday comes around. They're playing in a game. And Joe Schmidt's playing defense, obviously. And Bobby Lane goes back, and he throws a pass right at Joe. <laughs> right at him. Joe now is almost embarrassed because there's nobody around him. And he catches the ball, and he runs it in for a touchdown. And they're coming back, and Bobby Lane looks at him. He says, Joe, happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. That, those are the stories that are that, – that's what make this bar and, and, and this restaurant and you guys so unique. So tell me, is there any – okay, oh, you got a Sinatra story? One more Sinatra story, then we'll finish up. Okay. Well, anyways, we're at Pine Knob, and Sinatra's performing. Well, we're there early, and before it starts, 
Jilly says to me, hey, Pete, let's go over to the uh, restaurant over there, Pine Knob. People used to go there for dinner. So I said, you know, yeah, let's go. It's about like 4 or 5 o'clock in the afternoon. So we go there, and uh, we're walking around. These people are having dinner, and Jilly walked over. He knew one of the guys from Miami. He goes, hey, Harold, how you doing? What's going on, you know? And they're with their wives, and they're all having dinner. There's about six of them there. And uh, Jilly says, uh, coming to the concert after, right? He says, not really. We're just here having dinner. He says, no, you got to come to the concert. And I says, or he says, uh, no, you got to come. He says, hey, Pete, he says, you got your tickets? I says, yeah. Now, we had six seats, center, third world. So I said, yeah. He said, give them to me. So I gave him. I'm going to tell Jilly no. Wait a minute. You're giving your six seats center row for Sinatra at Pine yeah. Knob, and you're giving them away. I'm giving them to Jilly's friends, who I happen to know the one father. But anyways, so I give him the tickets. Guess what happens? He says, I'll take care of you. So we all had backstage passes. So we're backstage at Pine Knob. So the concert just getting ready to play, right? Guess what happens? Jilly says, I got you all set. Put six chairs right on stage. I'm sitting on stage watching Sinatra six feet away from me, winking at me, singing. Now, how, how good does that get? It doesn't get any better than that. I told Jilly, I said, you can have my tickets anytime you want. After all these years, uh, give me that last comment, that last thing about this was a pretty good way to go, John. For start with you. Well, I couldn't. There's no better way. I mean, I just couldn't think of a better life that I've had in the restaurant business. Uh, as great of a life that I've had, you know, it's just not the restaurant business. Okay, we were. I mean, my family was involved in, in the community and in charities. I mean, my. My wife, if I, if, if I was to have a legacy with my family, because other than my family, well, I don't care, you know, but my legacy to my family is the, the two, you know, we have two $5 million endowments at Children's Hospital that we raised from golf tournaments and different events for Children's Hospital. To me, that is just as important as, you know, what we've accomplished in the restaurant business, if not more. It's a people business, and I think that that comment right there typifies why you guys have been successful, because it is a people business, isn't it, Peter? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, like Johnny said, you know, the, the opportunities that we had you today can't happen. You know why? Cell phones, picture taking. They weren't around then. Like when we'd go out with Sinatra or any celebrity, by then they would text. You'd have a thousand people at your door which is not bad if you're in the restaurant business, but they wouldn't come back then because they had no privacy. Today, the celebrities really don't have privacy they used to have, and that's how they used to come in here, and the excitement that we had and the experiences, you can't do anymore. And I, cheer, I tell my kids who are younger, finally they're starting to get the just of, oh, my God, my dad knew them, and that one, you know, and this one. You know, I mean think about it you know to meet mr branstetter 
I mean, as a you're setting, you're setting no, wait, you're setting the bar a little low there. No, no, no. That's the thing we haven't even discussed, Brandy. No, Brandy, there. Brandy, you. We would have never met people like you and Robbie. And I mean this. I mean, well, I first met you when you were down in uh, on Telegraph Road. I, that, that's when we first yeah. went in and had a steak down there. Right, right, right. That was you know a lot of years ago. Oh. But you know what? I got to tell you, if you got time, a, a great Rodman story. Okay. Yeah. Now my son and Dennis were very close, and they they still they still talk to each other quite a bit. Ned, but about two o'clock in the morning, my doorbell rings at the house, and I wake up and I told my wife, you know, I sent her down go see who's down there, man. No, so I went downstairs and look at the thing there through the window, and it's Dennis and his wife Annie, and their little baby. I open the door. He says, Dennis, what's wrong? What's going on? He says, my power went out at my house. I says, your power went out at your house. And you're here on my front porch at 2 o'clock in the morning. I said, Dennis, come on in. So I called my wife down. She came down. We fixed up the spare bedroom up there. And they stayed overnight. But my point is that he thought enough of us to two o'clock in the morning, he didn't go to a motel or whatever. He knew that we would take care of him, and that's that's a compliment. That's a. Was the triple H, I was gonna say, you know what? That, that's a great story to finish on, because it's it's about being somebody's friend. It, that's what the Janopolis brand is all about. Thank you guys both very much. Well, it's a pleasure with you, Jim. Jimmy, thank you. Love you. You know that. This was one of my favorite chats. We strolled down memory lane with the Janopoulos brothers, and I'm so glad we did. We never want to lose that connection with our past, that connection with the people that made history, not just in Detroit, but in the country. And a lot of that history had its origins right there at 12 Mile and Middle Belt in Farmington Hills, Michigan, at Janopoulos. Gone now, but boy, never forgotten. Thanks so much, Johnny and Peter Janopoulos. Keep an eye on my Facebook page, Jim Brandstetter 76 and my Twitter account, at Jim Brandstetter, and my website, thebrandyshow.com, for upcoming episodes of Conversations With.